0: Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, we heard from author Tim Wu about the way he thinks some apps are eating into our time. This week, we hear from an entrepreneur and investor focused on augmented reality.
1: I kind of say we're more in the, the old Nokia communicator era of AR and we're going to see, you know, the Palm Pilot of AR come along, and everyone I think that's the big thing. And then, then that'll be replaced by the BlackBerry of AR, and people go, "Well, that's that's it now." And it, it'll it'll be sort of after that that finally the you know the iPhone and the Android of AR you know come along and actually capture everything.
0: That's the voice of Matt Meisniks, creator of one of the first augmented reality apps and co-founder of startup Six D. He spoke with the FT's Tim Bradshaw about the technological advances that make AR possible. And what needs to happen if it is to fulfil its promise?
2: Matt, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to come in and talk to FT Tectonic. We're here mainly to talk about augmented reality and and how that works and why everyone is suddenly excited about it. There does seem to be a particular buzz in Silicon Valley about this technology right now, and this summer, why is that? Why does people here see such promise for the idea of mixing digital objects with the real world in this new way? Yeah, it's it's got a lot of excitement at the
1: moment, um, largely because of the potential of augmented reality to you know possibly one day replace our smartphones. Augmented reality is a technology that mixes. digital graphics with the real world and as part of that it helps us improve uh, or enhance what we see in the world, enhance what we know about things and has a lot of potential to um, enable and improve our our interactions that we're doing beyond what our smartphones can do today.
2: And the concept itself has been around for quite a while, you've been working on it for years and years, can you explain how you got started in it and and then also you know why big companies like Facebook and Apple are, are now sort of coming around to this idea, even though it may not be brand new in 2017. Yeah, I mean, augmented reality as a, as
1: a concept has been around in you know, the military and research for 40 or so years. So it has been around a long time. I got involved you know, professionally in this, in this industry about uh, eight years ago now. And I came out of a, a career in the mobile industry and was involved with uh, the early days of smartphones and saw sort of impact they were having and I started thinking about what was next and saw that we were starting to engage with our, our devices and the world in a, in a much more natural way and augmented reality was the, the type of technology that let our sense of sight, you know, interact with the world. And I saw that as being quite a, you know, one day a very powerful trend and so I, I started working in that space in 2009 and worked for a startup in Amsterdam called Leia, uh, back then helped them get on uh, most of the Android smartphones in the world. What did that do? Uh, Leia was the, the first app that you could hold up your phone and sort of look through the screen or through the camera and it would overlay information about you know, the world as you, as you looked at it. It relied on pretty simple technology, really just GPS and compass. And you could you know, access a layer of information like a, you know, a Yelp review, for instance, about all the restaurants that were in the direction that you
2: were looking. You did your own startup, Deco, as well, which was yeah. trying to take that forward in, in different ways. How did how did that begin and how did it end?
1: Yeah, well, Deco was, uh, was a startup that was working on the right things too early. We realized that... Um, To improve the user experience beyond what apps like Leia were doing, we needed to to sort of take a next generation of uh, computer vision technology. And that meant the computer vision system had to understand the world to some degree and be able to put you know that that content and information quite accurately and precisely in the world. You know, we solved a lot of those problems, but really the the technology was, you know, the hardware was the problem. It wasn't really available. Back then, you know, it was like iPad 2,
2: iPad 3 kind of era. I remember you showing me sort of demos of little characters running around on tabletops back then that were yep. not wildly dissimilar to what we've seen the likes of Apple and Facebook talking about in the last few weeks. What what were you trying to solve then That that's changed more recently that makes this easier for people to do? Nothing's
1: changed in terms of the, the problem. You know, they, like I said, we're seeing demos today that are carbon copies of, of what we made like five, six years ago. What's changed today is, is primarily the GPUs that are in modern cameras, as well as... So um, graphical processing units? Yes. The GPU I- enables the, the device to process the frames of video coming from the camera um, much, much faster. And also the, uh, the different sensors that are in the phone are more accurate and, and faster as well. So the combination of the you know, faster processing of the camera input and better sensors means that the content you can just now pretty much start the app up and it just works, where you know several years ago, you needed to ask the user to go through a bunch of hoops to
2: before they ended up with the app working. The, the user would have to kind of, in effect, some way tell the app where the table was or where to put the character or something like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: or you had to print out a bit of paper and put that on the ground. and, and Yeah, in some a sort of QR code, something yeah, like that. Those types of things. Or you had to hold it, you know, you had to move it a certain speed, but not too fast and not too slow, and it, it just was too hard for users to, uh, to get the good experience.
2: If Leo was trying to do uh, some of that stuff just with the GPS and, and the compass, we now have sort of accelerometers and other kinds of motion sensors. Yep. The camera technology obviously itself has has improved the, the lens and the image sensor and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, as you said, the processing power in, mm. in these devices has got to a certain point. And I think when people think of augmented reality at the moment, the, the sort of two apps that always come up in these conversations are Pokemon Go and Snapchat. And both of those are just apps that came out on the App Store or or Google Play Store, they didn't have access to the silicon, I suppose, or the hardware in the way that a phone maker like Apple does. What were they able to do? there that, that sort of helps you to kind of place a, a stupid mask on your face or a, or yeah. a monster on the pavement um, and how will that improve now that Apple and Facebook and, and these others uh, and Google are trying to kind of open up the, the hardware if you like and, and give you more advanced capabilities how, how will we see Pokemon get better?
1: Yeah yeah so, so Pokemon Go was, was great it was, it was probably the first app that resulted in you know augmented reality headlines, you know, with success attached to it. But technically, it, it really was using exactly the same tech as we had at Layer, And so the, the user experience of the augmented reality piece wasn't that great in Pokemon. But it was Pokemon, and it got people out running around, and it was a Pokemon success more than an
2: augmented reality It was as much to do with the brand as it was the technology. Oh, yeah, but people who've been sort of looking for a breakthrough in the AR world in a long time kind of seized yeah. on it and said, look, this is oh, proof totally. that this works. Yeah, and it yeah. came up on earnings calls. It was something yeah. that... You know, suddenly we had Mark Zuckerberg and Sundar Pichai and people yes. explaining their excitement for this kind of yes, stuff. Yes, that was, it was definitely a big tipping point, yeah. How did that sort of pave the way for, for the new capabilities that we've seen? I mean, just to kind of run through in the last few weeks, we've had Apple talk about ARKit for app developers, which lets you, effectively any app developer, create something along those lines without needing to know how to... Exactly. Place an object in the virtual world or do yep. the computer vision processing. Yep. And Facebook's opened up its camera effects platform, which is doing something kind of similar. How will that sort of take that idea forward? Do those things really make it that much easier to create an AR app? Yeah, it does. It's it's really, really hard. The, the computer vision piece of so this is still
1: like bleeding edge technology. You know, a handful of, you know, PhD postdoc type researchers are, are able to develop these algorithms. So with companies like Apple and, and Facebook sort of putting a, a wrapper around it and, and making it just the way a developer now doesn't really need to know how to draw a window on the screen and create menus. They just you know, call the operating system and say, you know, you take care of it. They can now do the same thing for augmented reality. And they say, look, just tell me what's in the real world. And let me put my – here's my little character I've created. Just put it in the world. And it just works. We're already starting to see it. You know, In the last couple of weeks, I've probably seen more – AR demos, you know, published on YouTube than I've seen in the last five, six years before that. It's a really powerful signal that there's a lot coming soon.
2: How do they actually work? How does the camera system know that a table is in a different place to the floor and that if a character is moving around or a coffee cup is here, it's sort of seems to stay in place as you move the phone around the room, which was this, I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the demo at Apple's developer conference was this sort of steaming cup of coffee that however you moved the iPad in relation to it, it, it looked like it was really there. If yes. you like. how, how does it do that? How does it get a fix?
1: Yeah, well, that that technology of you know, having the, the, the digital content stay in place, the fixing of it in place is called uh, registration. And then as you move your you know, your phone or your iPad around, that's called position tracking you track from you know one frame of the camera to the next you know however you're moving and with each change in position the camera is is re- the, the steaming cup of coffee is redrawn slightly to match that new position so it, it always appears to be registered in in exactly the same place and to do that the you know like ARKid and the, the sort of current technology uses a a sense of fusion it's called where the camera will you know basically take that frame of video like a, like a f- single photo and it will analyze that that frame and determine some some points of interest to the computer system and it'll say okay I know that corner of the table I know that that corner of the table is something I can recognize from you know this frame to the next frame and it, it finds about you know 1000 or tens of thousand, depending on uh, you know points that it can track and then as you move from one frame to the next, it does a a 3D geometry calculation. So it calculates where it thinks you've moved to. And that is running at about 30 frames a second or or 60 frames a second. And then using the accelerometer, the accelerometer runs at about up to maybe 1,000 frames a second. And so it's able to plot your movement direction by the forces that the accelerometer is detecting, and it's, it uses that to sort of plot your position in between each frame of video. So it's it's super precise updates of that position, which means it can calculate very smoothly you know, how you're moving, and it can keep that, that coffee cup being rendered you know, very smoothly, and so
2: your eye detects that it's perfectly still. So in the same way that, that we talk about augmented reality as a sort of digital... Object on a physical object. The phone itself is actually combining digital signals, like from the camera, with the physical movement of the phone totally to the accelerometers. It's, yeah, it's, it's that hybrid kind of upgrade. yeah.
1: It's like the opposite of uh, motion capture systems that Hollywood uses. You know, we've seen those guys with the white little golf balls all over them. They have like a, a fixed camera. You know, fixed cameras all around the room, and as the actor moves around, you know, it, it tracks the position of the actor. Where augmented reality basically flips that in reverse. It's saying, "I want something still." but I'm going to track the position of the iPad as you move around.
2: You know, the technology's been around for a while, but doing it in a phone has is, is been the hard part. And you were saying before, I mean, the, the way that that used to be done was with some sort of identifier that you would put on the table to kind of do that, but now you don't need that because it, it just kind of looks for those little, yeah. little kind of edges and things that that are somehow stand out in a, yeah. in a scene. So if you move the phone too quickly or if you kind of walk for too far? Does it kind of lose that tracking? How does it kind of know where that object is if, if it goes out of shot, if you like? Is it is it able to keep in, yeah, so in memory where that point. was?
1: So, so you, you've described the way the, the tech has been evolving, where you used to have to have a an image, and you'd, you'd basically load that image into the system in advance and say, you know, when you see this image, like this QR code, you can recognize that and track against that. And then we've moved to systems that can figure out you know, register things in a scene it's never seen before. And they have the new processors and GPUs have got. It's, it's very hard to move too fast now. They're, they're pretty much you can move naturally, you know, as you normally move. The constraint today is really shifting to you know, how far away you can go. So eventually, you know, these systems like Google's Tango system is probably the, the best at long distance. It can go maybe a, a block, a city block or so, Apple's AR kit, they say it's about one room-sized area. And if you do go you know, beyond that and then come back, or if maybe you, you put your phone in your pocket for a while and then you, you take it out, what it does is as you're doing the position tracking, it's also building like a point cloud. Of you know, A point cloud is like a 3D representation of, of the physical space if you've ever seen some of those outputs from lidar systems that like are, a
2: self-driving you know, car with like the 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 sort of rainbow colored yeah, dots all exactly. around that's it, it
1: yeah. yeah it's it's sort of similar to that when you pull your phone back out of the pocket it has that you know that point cloud in memory and it, it just tries to match the point cloud in memory versus the point cloud that's just determined from the scene
2: and you know adjust its position to to match that scene so if it's coming back into a room that it knows if you like it yeah. actually gets better the, the more frequently you use it in the same in the same space or does it, does it not matter if you're pulling it out
1: that depends some systems will get better the more times like if if you visited a room and then i visit that room later with with my phone possibly the fact that you've been there before will will help me that's a new service that google's just sort of previewing for their their tango phone and it's definitely the direction that everything's headed but I think ARKit and, and Facebook and Snapchat, their systems don't do that today. You know, They sort of start from scratch every time you you fire them up.
2: You've mentioned Google Tango a couple of times. So the, just to kind of delineate a little bit there, at the moment, the things that Snapchat and, and Facebook and, and Apple are doing is just using a kind of regular traditional smartphone camera. It's just the same thing that we all have in our pocket right now. Tango is trying to add to that by adding... Another kind of sensor or a second camera or something like that that takes in more kind of data. And at the moment, I think there's only a couple of phones on the market that have that. But yes. it, it could potentially make the stuff even even more accurate or more powerful. How does Tango work differently to a regular iPhone and why does that matter? Tango is
1: is Google's you know, word for a, a sort of add-on system to a, a phone. It's a combination of a Google software and a hardware spec where you know the AR kit or Facebook system uses your regular camera plus your uh, accelerometer tango adds a, a depth camera to that and a, a depth camera gives you a point cloud far more accurately and, and faster than uh, a regular camera and it can work like in the dark and things where a regular camera doesn't work what that means is is effectively you know everyone's calls their system a, a slam system that's a sort of technical term that, that goes does, back to um, you know you know robots and things but it stands for simultaneous localization and mapping and the localization is how it rediscovers where it is and mapping is sort of building that point cloud and slams being thrown around a lot by you know by everybody saying yeah we do slam we do slam but it's a bit like multimedia in that it's a word that can mean different things depending on how you want to use it and Google's Tango is really a, you know, arguably the most advanced SLAM system that's you know, well-known today, where Apple and Facebook have kind of just got the first building block in place, and they'll, they'll obviously build that out. And Google having that depth camera you know, just, just gives their system, it's more reliable, it can cover bigger areas, it can build
2: those 3D maps faster and, and bigger. And what does that mean for the kinds of applications that you can use it for? Is it is it make a big difference that you're able to see the world more accurately? Does that let you do something that just a regular phone camera can?
1: Not Not really. What it does is it makes it easier for the the system. So you know where I said those those computer vision systems, you know, you need like PhDs and, and researchers to develop them. If you've got better hardware or more cameras and better sensors, it makes the software's job easier. So we're we're definitely seeing you know, research coming out that is going to let you do everything.
0: Hi, this is Matt and
2: Sean from Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.
1: That you can do with a depth camera will soon, you know, in a couple of years, be possible just on your regular phone camera. Effectively just using software. Effectively just using software, yeah, and, and more processing power. So the applications are you're all going to end up pretty much running on a, you know, a, a 3D model of the world, and your applications will, will put your information. It could be a little game character. It could be a, a label over a building. But we're not there yet. You know, everyone's system has slightly different you – know, a little bit further along that path – Apple's is able to maybe detect uh, planes, like it can detect a, a tabletop, but it, really, it can't really tell you what's under the table or it can't really you know, get the arms of your couch and things like that where Google's can today. But they'll all catch up you know, over time. So it's a pretty rapid race at the moment.
2: And you've been investing in augmented reality and, and virtual reality a bit with super ventures for the last couple of years are you seeing something approaching a sort of killer app for ar is there, i mean you must see a lot of different ideas from entrepreneurs here what beyond yeah fun games and and masks what, what, what what's the so kind uh, of meaningful step forward here from all this amazing technology yeah
1: ki- killer app's a great term so i spent you know a decade or so in in mobile um i worked for, in the early 2000s for the company that invented the mobile phone browser so all those you know six or seven years before the iPhone came out you know all the time people would say what's the killer app for you know the internet on your phone and is it email is it you know web browsing is it something else games and the answer is there there wasn't one you know it was just getting the internet on your phone and just making it work well it's similar for AR and VR I, I believe and where we're not going to see one app come along and all of a sudden that app is the app that brings everybody to convinces them to buy a, an Oculus or a you know a Microsoft HoloLens or something, but we are seeing these products just get you know get better and better and evolving over time, and and they'll get to a point where they are just you know, better to use, they're more pleasant to use. You know Ronnie, uh, the CEO of Magic Leap, he he sort of has a great quote where he says. They're working to the point where your you know your glasses your ar glasses you want to be if you leave home and leave them at home and you're now you know 20 minutes away from home are they important enough that you'll turn around and drive back home to get them you know uh, with my my phone today i would you know but uh the glasses are going to need a while to get to that point and we're going to see lots of sort of incremental products along the way
2: yeah so magic leap is is outside of the big established tech companies, the kind of company that's had the most attention and the most funding to try and develop some kind of headset or glasses that that put all of this augmented reality stuff that we've been talking about on your phone right up there in front of your eyes. So it's there all the time. How does what we're doing on the phone, whether that's in the sensors and the processing and the computer vision or, or just in the kinds of applications that people are coming up with, how does that help prepare for... The glasses, because Mark Zuckerberg has talked pretty openly about the fact that he wants to have something that's the size of a pair of Ray Bans in ten years that does all of this stuff on your eyes. But at yes. the moment, he's still mucking around with, you know, cartoony stuff inside a smartphone camera. Yes. Does does one help him get to the other? Does does AR kit help Apple oh. come out with eyeglasses? Oh, completely. Yeah, it's exactly the same.
1: When we end up with our glasses, what those glasses are going to be is you got your smartphone, took it apart took everything out of your smartphone and just you know, bolted it to your glasses and then instead of having the phone display and replace that with a display that you can see through, that's really the only difference between glasses and, and your phone. So all of you know the technical work that Facebook and Apple are doing now and, and merging these computer vision systems with their sensors and connecting them up with their cameras, it's, it's you know, copy and paste to their glasses. There's, there's no change at all. I think, more important or more exciting aspect of, you know, these sort of apps that we're seeing now that are almost novelties, but they are educating both developers, you know, primarily developers, but also end users as to what AR is, you know, what are the constraints, what are the, you know, what are the next, you know, suite of problems that need to be solved. And getting all of that kind of foundation work in place and getting it done and all those learnings while we keep working on this whole other set of problems around, you know, glasses, and the, the hardware and the optics and all those challenges.
2: What are the problems that still got to be solved if a lot of this tr- technology is transferable?
1: Really, the the two biggest ones, I, I believe, is largely around just getting the hardware to work. Um, that's a that's a tough one. <laughs> that's um, a pretty fundamental one. Yeah, <laughs> um, the optics in particular are, are a difficult problem, just because you sort of have a trade off today where you can have. A lens that you can see through that that might look like you're you know fit in a pair of ray-bans but it's it's a pretty bad lens like very small like you're looking through a keyhole type of thing of
2: graphics they call it the um the field of view, the field of view. so the, the the field of view on the Hololens is sort of look at, which is microsoft's yeah. attempt at this kind of headset looks kind of about the size of a, a desktop pc screen in, yes. in front of you rather than something like the oculus rift which is VR headset, but but it feels as though it's kind of all around you. It yeah. doesn't just look like it's a kind of little box in the middle That's of the right. screen. So. Yeah,
1: and so you can I mean you can do very wide field of view AR today. You know, um, military pilots you know have that, but you end up you know wearing a fighter jet helmet. You know, so trying to uh, you know tr- manage those trade offs and get it down is is still a problem that isn't really solved. Then there's a, a problem that you know the tech industry doesn't seem to be paying that much attention to which is the fact that with AR more than any other product before that it's going to be a a fashion driven purchase you know I don't buy my iPhone too much based on fashion you know most of the time it lives in my pocket but you know sunglasses or reading glasses you know 90 percent of that's a fashion purchase if, if not more and really to date only snap and apple have shown any you know any sort of success in selling their products as as fashion products so i think the difficulty of that problem is probably underestimated by the tech industry and it's going to you know in my opinion be at least as hard to solve as you know all of these hardware miniaturization and sort of optics problems that are there
2: which was what we learned from Google glass i, I guess which yeah. was, which was in some ways now almost seems ahead of its time i don't know um, but but suffered quite a severe backlash because of yes the way it looked or the and, and particularly the ca- i mean I, f- I find this very interesting you talked about snap and they have the spectacles product which has a camera facing out and filming yep. people but various reasons people seem to be slightly more accepting of that maybe because it looks cooler or maybe because it only records for a few seconds at a time or because it's made by snapchat rather than google and google was somehow seen as trying to soak up all, of the, all the world around it and it yeah. was somehow invading people's privacy were there any kind of learnings beyond the kind of fashion thing from from what google asked did right or wrong i mean some people have talked about you know, will the a future headset like Magic Leap or, or whatever Apple might be working on is is it just something that kind of pops up a notification every now and again, or is it something that kind of permanently puts digital graphics in front of your eyes? And if one or the other, what does that mean for yeah. whether the you, person you're talking to is really paying attention to you yeah. or, or looking at something in the corner and not, yeah. not the person in front of
1: them? Yes, all of those are <laughs> you know difficult questions. Um, you're talking about Google Glass and and sort of what have what have we learned from that? I think. You know, there's a couple of learnings. You know, if we take the Snap uh, spectacles as a you know as a as a comparison, you know, Snap was very careful to to keep expectations very low. You know, they said this is just a, a toy. It's fun. It's it's not a serious product. Where Google sort of allowed people to believe that this is the future of computing and it's ready and we're doing it. You know, you alluded to the fact that Snap's identity is based on you know, this ephemeral information that you take a photo and it's gone, where Google, you know, definitely sucks everything up and, you know, you believe they're analysing everything. And that, you know, combined with you know, having the camera with a great big light circling, so it's a very strong signal that, that the camera's running. On the spectacles. On the spectacles, yes. That all, you know, really helped with social acceptance. And similarly to that, you know, a story from, again, back in my smartphone days and, some of us might remember but when cameras on smartphones first came out, there was hysteria about everyone saying, people are going to take their phone into the change rooms and they're going to take photos of my children and sneak. You know, all this you know, horrible fear and, and all the manufacturers made their digital cameras play an artificial click sound when you took it just to try and make people feel better. But nowadays, like I don't know when was the last time anyone expressed any concern about the fact that you know, your, your phone's got a camera on it. And I think with AR glasses and the sensors and things that we're going to be wearing, the products will definitely evolve to, you know, address a lot of those concerns. But I think a lot of the concerns we'll realize are, are largely overblown and, you know, we can we can relax.
2: And I, I guess to some extent it depends on developers or, or the manufacturers of these devices finding something really compelling that we want to do with them. I think that was perhaps the, the, the other kind of weakness of Google Glass is like, well, great, but isn't this just the same as I see on my phone, but... Yeah. on my face. Like, it didn't really move totally. things forward in some way. And I, I, that was why I was asking about this killer app kind of idea. I mean, it, you're right to say that something will emerge once this yeah. technology is there, but it's not completely clear to so, me yeah, or so, what so, that I mean, will be.
1: Looking at Google Glass, it's a good there, there are killer apps today, but they're not killer apps for everyone. They're killer apps for specific, like, verticals. Google mm-hmm. Glass has had, you know, even today, is having a lot of success in places like, you know, operating theaters and, and in surgery, where the doctor just needs to be able to maybe have a checklist that he that he acknowledges as he goes through but it's a hands-free you know work environment so for him that's a killer app and i think we'll see lots of those little you know solutions come along but it until we get something that consumers like every consumer wants to have it we're going to need that you know fully baked product and predicting how far away that is you know i'm i'm definitely in the Still three plus years away. Again, looking at my my smartphone industry history, everything to create the iPhone um, existed two you know, about two years before the iPhone came to was born. And most of us in the space kind of knew that. Look, someone just needs to tie a good camera to a good screen and make it color and do all these things. And in AR, you know, to make those glasses that we can all you know easily imagine the Ray Bans that you know, put that content perfectly in the world, um, all the pieces to even do that aren't really there yet. So I kind of say we're more in the, you know, the old Nokia communicator era of AR, and we're going to see, you know, the Palm Pilot of AR come along, and everyone will think that's the big thing, and then then that'll be replaced by the BlackBerry of AR, and people go, well, that's, that's it now, and it, it'll, it'll be sort of after that that finally, the, you know, the iPhone and the Android of AR, you know, come along and actually
2: capture everything. But you obviously see some opportunity here because you're going from investing back into entrepreneurship and starting your own yes. company, 6D, that's trying to solve some of these problems. What, what are you trying to do and what, why is now the right moment that you see for trying to jump in?
1: You know, I mentioned um, how you know, a lot of the computer vision technology has moved from recognizing you know, a marker to now we can sort of work in a, in a room. And uh, through our, our you know, partnership from, with Oxford University, you know, as, a, as a startup, we've got you know, access to the same type of Technology and, and talent that you know the best in-house teams at, at Google and Apple and, and those teams have got, so which is pretty uh, unusual for a startup. And so we are looking at what's needed to go from you know your room or your desk, you know, outside into the whole world, and you know, working on solving that problem. So those applications in, in whatever, whether it's a phone or, or eyewear, you can start to run and interact with the real world at, at, at a global scale. And where are you up to with that? What's it's a brand new company. We we haven't announced you know anything. We haven't launched the company. We haven't announced any products. There's sort of a, a number of the, the large OEMs who are you know want to build these types of the, the uh, hardware uh, makers. Yeah, the hardware makers, and they're obviously very interested in in you know an independent company that can do the sorts of things that you know like Google. Or Apple, or whoever, also does might only be able to do in house. But so you're
2: you're trying to you're trying to stay stealthy and stay on the down low for the meantime, which isn't easy in a in a space where there's only a few. Yeah, few it people. is,
1: and it's there's it very few people, and so you you know we can stay quiet and sort of make progress with some of these these partners. And you know we don't have anything, we don't really have anything to offer to consumers or the wide market anytime soon. So
2: until we do, we're we're just keeping our heads down and getting on with things. But your point about this stuff, if if we're going from something that you're just happy to kind of wear indoors and in your house that, that might look like a virtual reality headset that can be kind of big and clunky. If it is something that your technology will ultimately enable us to walk down the street wearing, then that makes that fashion component yes. all the more important. <laughs> yes. Are there any particular learnings from virtual reality and and the, the hype cycle that that technology has been through for the last couple of years? Because it feels as though AR today is is in the same kind of place in terms of buzz and the valley that VR was maybe three years ago when Oculus was bought by Facebook but doesn't quite feel as though that's made good on that promise yet is is that was that just a kind of expectation setting exercise is the technology not really quite as ready as we all thought it was and yeah you know, how do they are kind of you know do some of the things right that VR did but maybe not see some of the things that were wrong
1: yeah i mean we're definitely going to overreact to hype or the excitement around ar and it will get built up and then people will be disappointed and then some time after that it'll deliver on everything that we believe today i think what is driving the excitement around ar right now is just that people are understanding that ar represents a bigger uh, market opportunity than vr does even in, in the best case and you know the way we think about it at, at Super with, with my partners there is that you know putting aside the the technology or the products, you know VR is ultimately about uh, helping you escape. You know you you put your headset on and you are then transported to a, a, another digital place, where AR is something that you stay engaged with the world and it makes you know what you see of the world improved in whatever improved means to you. When you just look at our, our regular hours in the day. In the time we're awake, you know, everyone indulges in some escapism, whether that's watching TV or reading a book or something, but it's usually the a small part of our day compared to the time we spend actually interacting with other people that are with us or places, things, whatever. And so you know, if we look at some future state where how many hours of the day are we picking up our VR device versus our AR device? You know, most people in the tech industry believe that we're probably going to spend more hours using our AR product uh, in a day. So the, the potential there for you know, applications and markets
2: and everything is, is way, way bigger. Great. Matt, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to join us here on Tectonic. Yeah, thanks.
0: You'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes? Please email us at tectonic@ft.com. At tectonic will take a break for the summer, but we'll be back with brand new episodes in September. This episode was produced by Amy Keane.